following sermon, entitled The Creator's Gift of Food to Man, was preached on Prayer Day, March 8, 2023, at Hope Protestant Reformed Church in Redlands, California. If you enjoy listening to our sermons, we encourage you to come worship with us. For more information on upcoming service times and Bible study opportunities, please visit our website at hopeprc.org. Let's open God's Word this evening to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, we will read the entirety of the chapter, and verse 29 will be the text for this evening. This is the inspired and therefore infallible Word of our God. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness He called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. And God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters. And let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. And God called the firmament heaven, and the evening and the morning were the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heaven be gathered together unto one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth. And the gathering together of the waters called he seas, and God saw that it was good. And God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed, and fruit, and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth, and it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, and herb yielding seed after his kind, and the tree yielding fruit whose seed was in itself after his kind, and God saw that it was good. And the evening and the morning were the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. And God set them in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And the evening and the morning were the fourth day. And God said, let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creatures that hath life and fowl that may fly above the earth in the open firmament of heaven. And God created whales and every living creature that moveth, which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind and every winged fowl after his kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas, and let the fowl multiply in the earth. And, then, and the evening and the morning were the fifth day. 
And God said, let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind, cattle and creeping thing, and beast of the earth after his kind, and it was so. And God made the beast of the earth after his kind, and cattle after their kind, and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind, and God saw that it was good. And God said, let us make man in our own image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb-bearing seed which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree in which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed, to you it shall be for meat. And to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to everything that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for meat, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Thus far we read God's word. The text for this evening's sermon is verse 29. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed which is upon the face of the earth, and every tree in which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed, to you it shall be for meat. This evening we come together as a congregation for what we call Prayer Day. This is one of two special services that we have as Reformed churches that are connected to the planting and the harvest of crops. We have one in the spring, one in the fall. The one in the fall is Thanksgiving Day in which we give thanks to God for the harvest that has come in and for His provision of daily bread. And in the spring, we come together in connection with the planting season, really prior to the planting season, to ask for God's blessing upon the planting of crops and the entire growing season so that come fall, there will in fact be a harvest. The Reformed tradition includes that the church come together on these occasions. Because we recognize that all of this is God's work and that it's good for us to come together and spend time in prayer and hear a sermon that explains these very truths. Trusting that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. That's the occasion that brings us together this evening. And this passage of Scripture is appropriate. For for undergirding this passage of Scripture 
that we consider tonight is the truth that our God is the one who created all the variety of plants and crops that we find upon this earth. And the text itself emphasizes that God has given the, the goods of this creation to man for his use as food. For the text says, And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree in which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed. To you it shall be given for meat, that is, for food. So we have here God communicating to Adam that he had the right to use the goods of this earth for his physical well being. And it's in light of this passage that we can then pray with confidence to our God give us our daily bread. Grant to us all that we stand in need of physically. So with that in mind, we consider this passage using as our theme the Creator's gift of food to man. The Creator's gift of food to man. First, we will look at God's provision of food. Second, at man's right to it. And third, our prayer for it. The Creator's gift of food to man. God's provision of food. Man's right to it. And our prayer for it. Undergirding the passage that we consider tonight, Genesis 1, verse 29, is the truth that our God is the Creator of all things, including all plant life. It's a part of the creation week as we well know. For on the third day, God separated the the waters together and caused the dry land to appear. And having caused the dry land to appear, we read this in verses 11 and 12, And God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed, and the fruit tree yielding fruit after His kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, and herb yielding seed after His kind, and the tree yielding fruit, whose seed was in itself after His kind. God created plant life. It's not just that He created it, but He's the one who maintains it. He's the one who causes it to continue to grow and to propagate throughout this earth. That's the truth, for example, of Psalm 104, verse 14. He, God, causeth the grass to grow for the cattle and the herb for the service of man, that he may bring forth food out of the earth. Now this work of God is really quite amazing when you stop to think about it. That God created and maintains all the plants that are part of this creation. It's quite amazing when you think about the diversity of plant life. And that's true even in one geographical location such as Southern California. Think of the wide variety of plants on just this piece of property. From the grass to the trees to the, to the flowers. And then if you expand beyond this piece of property to the regions around, we see an even wider array of different plant life. And that's just one geographical region. And we recognize that in other parts of the earth, the, 
the vegetation can be quite different. And when you stop and consider the, the tremendous diversity, then we see what a glorious Creator our God is. And how He designed each plant to grow in the specific habitat in which He Himself has planted it. So that it's uniquely designed to survive whether the the hot, dry temperatures of Southern California or the, the cold temperatures of another part of the earth or whatever it may be. And He's the one who continues to care for it all. He's the one who governs the the weather, sending the sunshine and the rain to cause the the plant life to grow so that what we see from all this is that our God is the Master Gardener. He created plant life and He maintains by His providence all the vegetation of this earth. And God has a purpose in this. And the primary purpose that comes out in the passage that we read is that God created plant life in large part for food for the rest of the creatures. That's not His only purpose. He has other reasons. To give one other example, God created the vegetation of this earth simply for the sake of its beauty. That comes out, for example, in the next chapter, chapter 2, verse 9, where we read this. We'll begin with verse 8. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there He put the man whom He had formed. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. So that in Genesis 2, verse 9, there's really two purposes for why God created all the different types of plants that we see on this earth. And the first one given is that it's pleasant to sight. That is, God deliberately, intentionally made this earth beautiful. There's a reason the, the flowers that we see are, are so captivating, so beautiful, so stunning. God designed them to be that way, to be pleasant to the sight. Pleasant to His sight. God Himself takes delight in His creation. So that after that third day, God said, behold, it is good. And at the end of the creation week, He said it's all very good in part because of the the beauty of His creation. But it's not only beautiful in God's eyes, pleasing to His sight, it's intended to be pleasing to our sight. And that's quite something. That God made a beautiful creation so that when we go and travel different places or even when we look out in our backyard and we behold the beauty of the creation, we are meant to marvel at our Creator. Because really, that beauty is a reflection of His own beauty. Again, He is the Master Gardener. And in His work as gardener, we see a reflection of His beauty, His grace, His glory on display within His own handiwork. And that all by itself is reason to praise Him. 
But now that's just one additional purpose. The primary purpose that we want to focus on tonight though, is that God created the vegetation, the plant life of this earth for food. And that's the purpose given in Genesis 1 verse 29. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed which is upon the face of all the earth and every tree in which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed. To you it shall be for meat or for food. And then Genesis 2 verse 9, He caused them to grow that it is pleasant or to grow every tree that is pleasant to sight and good for food. In creating vegetation, plant life, God was providing food for His creatures. And that comes out in the passage that we read earlier. Psalm 104, verse 14. He causeth the grass to go grow for the cattle and herb for the service of man that it, He may bring forth food out of the earth. God did this because of how He created man and every other creature. He created us in such a way that we do require food. And that's built into the very creation itself. It's not something that comes after the fall that we, as sinful mankind, now all of a sudden we become dependent on food, but before we could go on without. No. As a part of the original creation, God designed us in such a way that we would stand in need of daily nourishment. And that's true of the other creatures of the earth. And then, a part of His work then was creating the food for mankind and for the creatures of this earth. And thus, what stands out here is really God's provision for His people. And that stands out when we look at the structure of the creation week as a whole. The creation week reaches its climax in the creation of man. It's all working towards that. That's evident from the fact that man was the last thing created. God took special care in creating man. For as we read in Genesis 1, verse 20. Seven, God created him out of his, in His own image and after His own likeness. It's with man that we read of God forming him out of the dust of the ground and then breathing into him the breath of life. And that man is the, the pinnacle, the climax of creation comes out from the unique relationship that God has with man. God created man in a covenant relationship with Him so that man could speak with God and God could speak to him and there was fellowship. So it's all building towards the creation of man. And when we have that perspective, we see that in the preceding days, what God is really doing is preparing everything for mankind. He's, he's creating a home, a habitat in which man can live. So that already on day one, God created light. Because all along the plan was to create a creature who would have fellowship with God and with each other. And we need to be able to see one another for fellowship. He, he had in mind that He would give us eyes to see with and therefore He gave us light whereby we could see. And then day two, He creates the firmament, the, the sky, the heavens, which includes the very air that we breathe. 
Because He knew He would give us lungs to inhale and to exhale, to give us breath, to deliver oxygen to all the different parts of our bodies. And then on the third day, when He he causes the dry land to appear, He's giving us a, a place to live because He knew He would not put us into the sea as creatures that swam, but He'd have us live upon the earth. And then there's the, the main thing that we have in view this, this evening, His creation of the, the plant life. But then it goes beyond that. And really, every part of the creation, it's all preparation for the creation of man so that when God creates man, it's not that He has to quickly come up with the different things that man stands in need of. Otherwise, he's going to die. But it's all in place ahead of time. And that's what stands out is the the wisdom of our Creator. His care for us as His creatures. He had it all planned out. Everything was in place. We see His foresight in this. And do you realize that He still takes that same care in providing for us? He does. Think about a trip to the grocery store. You walk in, and virtually everything you need from a physical point of view is found there. It's waiting. It's ready. But that doesn't just happen. Because there's a a hundred little things that have to go just so. Everything has to go according to plan for that food to be there when we arrive at the grocery store. And it goes all the way back to a seed sprouting because it had the the right soil in which to grow. And then that seed sprouted into a plant and it received all the sunshine and the rain and it was kept from devastating hailstorm or from a great swarm of locusts so that it was allowed to continue to grow. And then God caused it to bear fruit. Whether that fruit was an actual fruit or some vegetable or some other type of food. And then that was picked. Or it was perhaps picked and then given to an animal to eat so that that animal could grow up and then that animal could later become food. But then whether we're talking about vegetables or meats or any other type of food, it had to be cared for. It had to be harvested and, or slaughtered and then delivered to the grocery store. And all this process being governed by the hand of our God. So it's not man's work ultimately to make sure there's food in the grocery store, but it's God's work. And He uses hundreds of different means to bring that about so that when we walk into that grocery store, there's food waiting for us. All of that according to the wisdom, the foresight, the care of our God. God provides us our daily bread. And praise be to God, that's not all He provides us. Because of all He gave us was our physical bread. 
Well, then we'd have, there'd be nothing for our souls. Because you see, God did create us both body and soul. That comes out in Genesis 2, verse 7. And the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostril the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So there's two parts of the creation of man. The forming him out of the dust of the ground so that there's a a physical dimension to man. But then God breathed into him the breath of the life so that there's a spiritual dimension to man. We have a body and a soul. And just as our body needs nourishment, that God designed us in such a way that we require the constant intake of food and water, so too our souls need nourishment. And without that nourishment, we would perish. And thus, praise be to God, He gives us not only our physical bread, but He gives us also the bread of life, Jesus Christ. For Jesus Christ is the One come down from heaven as the bread from heaven. The One who gives us life. That is, He creates life within us as dead sinners by the work of His Spirit. But then He continues to nourish and to feed that spiritual life with His own body and with His own blood. So that we have the spiritual nourishment we need. And what's noteworthy in light of the passage that we are considering this evening is that already in the creation week, God in His wisdom and His foresight was making provision for that bread of life, Jesus Christ. For God created vegetation. He created plant life. And told man he may eat of the goods of this earth with one exception. You may not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Everything else is available to you, but there is one plant that's strictly off limits. Why? Because the plan all along was for God to provide the bread of life, Jesus Christ. The plan all along was that there would be a temptation for man in the garden. And man would succumb to the wiles of the devil. He would take that forbidden fruit. He would eat and thereby plunge himself into sin and ruin all to make way for the second Adam. So that you see already on day three of the creation week, God is making provision. He has in view the coming of the Savior. God's not reacting. He's not responding to Adam's sin and now he has to go to plan B. But plan A is Jesus Christ. That was the plan all along. And all throughout the history of the earth, He was leading and guiding all things for the coming of our Savior Jesus Christ in the fullness of time to be born of a woman, to be made under the law, to redeem us who could not keep the law. Let's praise be to God. We have that bread of life. 
And it's for His sake and because of His saving work that we who are fallen in Adam once again have the right to the goods of this earth. And that brings us to considering man's right to the food of this earth. We have that right for Jesus' sake. Adam had that right because God gave it to him directly. So we begin with Adam. And it's very clear that God is giving him the right to the goods of this earth. Verse 29, And God said to Adam, Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed which is upon the face of all the earth and every tree in which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed. To you it shall be given for meat. Notice that language of giving. God is handing it over as it were. He's saying this is available to you. You You may make use of it. Same thing in Chapter 2, verse 16, for example. And the Lord God commanded man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. Freely. It's yours to use. It's available for you. And this was given to Adam because of his position in creation as the head of creation, the king of creation, the one who had dominion over creation. That's the immediately preceding context to the passage that we're considering tonight. We're focusing on verse 29 of chapter 1. Verse 28 is this, And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. God made Adam the head of creation. He gave him dominion over the entire creation. And included in that was the right and the title to the goods of this earth. To the the fruit that this earth produced. And thus, when Adam used it, he was not stealing. He was not usurping something that did not belong to Him. But God had given it to Him to be used freely. So for Adam, there was an original right and title to the goods of this earth because of his position. But then Adam fell. And that changed things. And we need to see how that changed things then for fallen man who lost that right. Because as we've noted, while God told Adam that he may eat of the fruit of this earth, there was one fruit that was off limits. But yet he ate anyway. He willingly took that fruit that God had said, do not eat of it, and the day you eat, you will surely die. And thereby he plunged himself and humanity as a whole, into sin. With all the consequences of it. Death, both physical and spiritual. The corruption of His nature. The the loss of the image of God. Many consequences to sin. 
But among the consequences to sin, one of them was that he lost that original right and title to the goods of this earth. So that the goods of the earth no longer belong to man. The creation as a whole was no longer subjected underneath Him. He could no longer lay claim to the things of this earth as His own. So man lost that original right and title. And that means for fallen man to take the goods of this earth and to use them for himself is really stealing from God Himself. That is, for the wicked unbeliever, he has no right to those things that he calls his possessions, to the things that he calls his own. Yes, he may have a a civil right. That is, they may belong to him in such a way that he could say they're mine and he would be upheld in man's court and in man's opinion. But he does not have a sanctified right. That is, in the court of God Himself, he has no right to the things of this earth. And therefore, he will be called to give an account for taking to himself, for usurping the things which do not truly belong to him. That is, he will be called to give an account not only for his abuse of the things of this earth, his failure to use them for the glory of God, instead using them entirely for himself, his own desires, his own pleasures, not only for his abuse of the things that he has, but for his very use of them. For his thinking that these things are mine. For presuming to lay his hands upon them. God Himself will say to every unbeliever, I gave you so much. I gave you wine, oil, and bread. You lived a wealthy and prosperous life. Did you use them for my glory? Did you use those things for the advancement of the kingdom of Christ and the spread of the gospel. And every man must answer, I was indeed given much. We had a large portion. And we took it as our own and used it as we pleased. Not for your glory, but for our own. For our own pleasure, for our own happiness. And thus thou art just to punish us, O God. I do not know about you, but for me that is a very sobering thought. And it leads us to ask the question, How could we ever take anything from this creation and use it 
without being guilty of stealing, without being guilty of usurping that which is not our own. And the answer is because of the saving work of Jesus Christ and our adoption for His sake into the family of our God. So we've considered Adam and his original right and title. We've considered fallen man and his loss of the right that he had to the goods of this earth. But now we see that that right is restored for God's people who are in Jesus Christ. For you see, Jesus Christ, on account of and on the basis of His saving work, was made heir of everything in this creation. That's the explicit teaching of Hebrews 1, verse 2, which says that in the last days has spoken unto us by His Son, whom He hath appointed heir of all things and by whom He made the world. So we're told explicitly Christ is the heir of all things. And we need to think of that in the, the broadest, most comprehensive sense possible. All things. Christ is heir of them. That is, He has the right to them as an inheritance and something that He's earned by His saving work. For Jesus Christ came into this world, performed the will of God our Father. He was obedient even unto the death of the cross. And on account of His willingness to go the way of humiliation, to suffer on our behalf, to do all that the Father required of Him, He is now made heir of all things. He earned the right to everything. So that all things, including the plants, the animals of this earth, belong to Jesus Christ. And thus they belong to us who are joint heirs, co-heirs with Christ. That's the teaching of Romans 8, verse 17, which speaks of our adoption and says, and if children, which we are, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. And then what follows. So that the idea is that not only does Christ have the right to the inheritance, but as those who are in Jesus Christ, we, we now have that right along with Him. Not in the same respect. Not to the same degree. For all things are given to Christ as the One who is sovereign over all. He's the one who is supreme. Our right is subordinate to His. But nevertheless, we now have the right to the goods of this earth. That is a spiritual right to them. And that needs to be said because we're not saying that we can now go up to a random stranger and say, you know, well, you're an unbeliever, or at least you're you live as a wicked unbeliever, and I'm a, a co-heir, a joint heir with Christ, and therefore all things are mine, and now I can just take your property, your possessions, because they really belong to me. That's not what we're saying. We're saying we now have the spiritual right to these things so that when God in His providence gives to us the goods of this earth, we may now use them without being guilty of taking that which is not ours. So, we must still be given that civil, that legal right that 
stands before the, the court of men and the opinion of men, but when God gives us the goods of this earth, He's giving them to us as tokens of His fatherly care for us. So that we may use them rightly without sinning against our God. So it's only for Jesus' sake that we have a right to anything here below. And it's only for Jesus' sake that we may enjoy the many good gifts that God has given to us. And thus, it's only for Jesus' sake that we dare pray for these things. And we do indeed pray. That's the occasion for coming together tonight. This is prayer day. An occasion in which we ask God to give us our daily bread. We ask for His blessing upon the the planting season, the growing season. We're asking Him to so govern all things that there's a harvest at the end of all things. God, provide for us. Grant us all that we stand in need of. And not just provide it to us, but grant Thy blessing upon it. Let these things not serve our destruction. Do not hold us as, do not view us as sinners and hold us guilty of sin for taking them and using them. But bless them. Use them for our good as tokens of Thy loving favor upon us. That's our prayer. And it's in light of the first two points and everything that we've gone over that we can pray this prayer with confidence. We have this confidence because that was God's purpose from the very beginning. His purpose, or at least one of the primary ones in creating vegetation and creating plant life was that it might be food for His people. And though mankind lost the right to that in Adam's fall, it's restored to us for Jesus' sake as God's adopted children. And that then gives us the confidence to go to God to make this petition Trusting He will hear an answer. That even as, he ha- even as He has provided for us so abundantly, we can trust He will continue that. So let us continually go to our Father, beseeching Him that He will provide for us the things of this earth and do so for the sake of our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Father in Heaven, we thank Thee for our daily bread. For giving us all that we stand in need of from a physical point of view. But we thank Thee in a far greater way for the bread of life, Jesus Christ. And we pray that Thou wilt continue to grant Thy blessing upon us for His sake. We rejoice to know that as Thy adopted children, we are now co-heirs with Christ. And we pray that Thou wilt 
continue to care for us for His sake. Hear this prayer in the name of our Savior. Amen.